Welcome to the Business of Experience. I'm your host, Rodney Hobbs. Thank you for joining me today in the podcast series that explores everything to do with experience. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Business of Experience. And I'm really, really happy to be joined for this week's episode by Sophie Wade. Um, Sophie Wade is a recognized speaker, an amazing author and authority on the future of work. So welcome, Sophie. Thanks so much, Rodney. It's a delight to be here. Fantastic. I know you're joining us for your evening in New York, and I've got a bit of a frosty morning in Melbourne So why don't we start, Sophie, by maybe giving the listeners a little bit more context for people that might not be aware of your background. Could you just share a little bit about your sort of history and how we got to here? Yeah, happy to. Yes, um, I'm a Brit living in in New York. I've I've actually lived uh, all over the world, and that has given me a, an interesting perspective on lots of different types of work. And as my second career, I've been focusing on the future of work, which is kind of what it what we're going through right now. And so, what I do is try and help companies um, adjust, understand what's going on, and adjust for new ways of working, which is particularly relevant now. And the solution for the, the sort of thread through all of that um, has become empathy, which is becoming more and more important um, as we move forward through these challenging times right now. Absolutely. And, and really, that led us, our paths to cross and really the discussion to, to frame this episode about leading with empathy. But I suppose knowing that we're in this very unique time, which, you know, we, we send to say in every conversation, but what has been your sort of perspective or insights, you know, recently with your experience of COVID? Well, it's been, you know, it's been challenging for looking at how everybody's world, uh, working world, personal world have uh, become disrupted and become integrated and how people have been struggling to, to adjust and the empathy now that, that people are needing in order to to work effectively together across extraordinary dis- distances and try and pivot their organizations, try and keep people as, as employed as, as possible. Um, and and it's, it has been an, an extraordinary amount of disruption. And as we come out of lockdown, what that's going to mean as we move forward, because it's all going to happen very unevenly, different places, different um, restrictions, easing at different in different ways, what's happening with different, you know, your customers. Um, so a lot of uncertainty and I, that's been very sort of challenging to, to, to look at. And, and that's where I do think that empathy is, is a, a great, a great solution to help people adjust, to help people support each other um, and, 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 and help us get, get through this together. No, absolutely. And I think, I mean, these are uncharted waters. I mean, there are certain reference points that obviously, you know, we can look at. But I think, you know, we've really been participating in, you know, the world's greatest experiment about what actually is the potential of work. And hopefully we can kind of move off, as I sort of discussed on one of my posts, with, which is this stop referring to this thing as remote working. You know, it's work. What we do is we work. <laughs> yeah. Where we work is kind of just irrelevant and has been for right. quite a long time. But we seem very fixated to keep talking about this remote working. I know. I mean, where I come out of this is is, is very much in the same vein as you, is that remote working is an option. Um, and it is one of the options. And what I do hope is that people are, you know, as we emerge, and, and it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, sort of one step forward, one step back, um, and how we're going to be needing to be, uh, you know, adapting and pivoting is going to require us you know, to really look at all the different options of how people work and where they're working and in, in what environment and understanding our workflows and our tasks and really looking at work in, in many, many different ways and moving away from these, you know, it's static and linear and, and traditional and, and being much more open-minded about what the options are and what the possibilities are. So I do think um, that it is bringing, making, making a lot of people, for, forcing a lot of people to experience new things that they had never thought that they would have to and never wanted to. And, and some people are having some very you know, surprising and positive experiences of new ways of working. So I think you know, there are going to be more options that are going to be on the table going forward. 
Yeah, and I think there's still a lot that we haven't seen or I haven't seen necessarily coming out of how this is going to affect the physical work environment, i.e. the office. You know, what are going to be the things which are going to vary, I imagine, country to country in the sense of um, what are going to be these new standards, I suppose, we'll use the language of distance, temperature checking, air filtration systems, you know, what are going to be those things that we want to do? Because I think that's where some of the inconsistencies have been, you know, so it's okay for me to go to an office and be two meters apart, but I can get on a bus Mm -hmm. and be a foot apart. (laughs) Or I've got to wear a mask on a plane, but I don't on a train. So these are the things that I think, um, you know, you know, that's where the kind of the water gets into the cracks and people start going, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, I can go to a pub, but I can't go to this. I can go to a wedding, but I can't go to one of those. So I think there's still a lot (laughs) to be felt out in how we approach those things. I I totally agree. I I think it's very confusing. There were some funny memes after Boris Johnson recently gave his, uh, you know, you can do this, but you can't do that. And you can do this. So to, to exactly that point, I think, um, and, and it, you know, here in the States, different States uh, are approaching it differently um, and different countries where in fact, populations are, behave in different ways. And some some populations are much more rule following. So if they're told to do it mm-hmm. in a certain way, they they do, and that can really help. You know when uh, when restrictions are eased to 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 sort of have uh, you know second waves not come out as quickly. Um, already, just walking around New York over the last few days, I can see people already getting more casual about it. Everybody is most people are wearing masks, but you know you start forgetting or or just walking closer to to, to people. So I think you're, that, that inconsistency is going to be very challenging, and I think it also is probably very confusing to to younger people um, because you 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 it's very hard to reconcile those things. We'll see how that that plays out um, because it is likely, you know, we are anticipating, you know, second waves in the summer and, and third waves in, in the fall, or, you know, maybe it comes earlier. Uh, the, the second wave goes out is later, but the, we will see how people react and how, what, what kinds of norms there will be. I think they will be much more local norms um, based on just different pop- population densities, different types of behavior, there are the norms in, in, in particular locations. But that will be that will be challenging for people to, um, to 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 follow when there are so many inconsistencies that don't seem to add up. Yeah, I think the last point I'll kind of make on that, because then we really need to get on to the topics that at hand. But um, <laughs> I think it's also very much with that inconsistency, to me, it's kind of shown up that our political system you know, really isn't well structured to deal with this because, you know, just like in the US here, even at the federal level, they say one thing and then the states go and do something different. And there's no sort of seemingly a way to override that, that there is one way, not saying that one way and suddenly me bringing out my Taylorism, which I don't agree with, but it would make sense that there has to be consistency. And I don't think we've been able to keep the consistency seemingly in the political system. It doesn't seem it was, it, it enables that to happen. I, I agree. I, I do think that there are, you know, parameters that could be set that are applicable, that work in different situations that can be consistent, but differently applied. Um, I mean, you know, I see sort of Como coming up with, sort of parameters that allow different places to to ease to, to open at different times because they reach the, the parameters. But it is it is hard because people do react in different ways. You know, each state here is so big and people do react differently in Florida than they do in in California that they do in Nebraska. So um you know some flexibility. I mean one thing for me about the future of work it's really understanding people as individuals and you know teams can can work differently, individuals work differently and behave differently when they're in different environments. And and we need to try and work with that, not against it, and in so that we can move forward in the most productive and safe way. No, that's great. And look, I, I do also think that, you know, in our case in Australia, which obviously, you know, however you look at it, we, we certainly 
didn't have the worst situation and that can go down a lot to what we did do. I do Mm -hmm. think it's been Mm -hmm. a positive experience of cohesion in the sense of bringing our states together and the federal level and obviously trying to address this because it was new territory, which probably is a good segue to our first little sort of point (laughs) that we wanted to talk about, which was kind of new leadership styles really are required for us to work in this context of a distributed workforce. Yes, it's it is really hard to be leading from from afar to to because so much of leadership, I, I think, for many leaders is about presence. It's like your your sort of physical presence, your you know the the uh, the, the the conviction uh, that you that radiates out, and how you're communicating in person, and and how you're able to convince people of your ideas, and that's very very different when you're put into an equal little box with you know every other person and how do you how do you communicate how do you connect across um distances and and for obviously for for many leaders who who don't haven't necessarily built up the re- deeper relationships which are going to help them really connect with people um and that is going to that leads to more difficulties in being able to understand what's going on understand what the situations are for each of each of their direct reports and what they're going through i mean i think that's one of the the sort of leveling aspects is that we're all, you know for the people who are working at home because obviously there are people who have been dealing with very different situations in front frontline jobs but it has been leveling that even CEOs of companies have been forced to find a workspace with kids on top of them. And, you know, they've, they've also been struggling. And so therefore being, you know, somewhat can, can, can be more empathetic about what some of their workers are going through because they're also sort of faced by some of the same struggles. But it is very challenging to, to deal with this type of forced shock transition, working in very different ways, um, and trying to, to be a, a leader in a very, very different environment, um, and, and, and how to connect with people and, and support them appropriately. I also, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of sort of commentary that a lot of people that have kind of more struggled with this has been managers. Um, and I probably would imagine that that's because it's exposing different styles of management and some styles are going to work better than others. And some of the styles that are probably more wedded back to that kind of old school thinking of work, you know, I need to see you to trust that you're working. Mm. Uh, I think that's probably where really we're probably exposing different issues of trust rather than actually, you know, the kind of the physical mechanics of I'm managing a team of people or a group of people to do a particular thing to give me this outcome. And that's where I talk a lot about how we need to shift to really this kind of outcome. Do I really care how you do it if Mm. I'm getting the outcome where I think still a lot of management styles are very much still wedded a lot in that nine to five. I've got to see you there working to kind of demonstrate that you are working. And I, you know, I still think that's kind of old school thinking, but probably that's where some people have struggled um, because certainly, you know, for a lot of us, a lot of our careers have been really working in a distributed where I haven't seen my boss. I don't work in a typical Mm. office and haven't for many years. Uh, And that was something that you just adapted to rather than there was anybody talking to you about it. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly that, there are a lot of managers who are used to the in-person. I also think that many managers are not taught how to manage. And, you know, they've, they, they were doing a great job. They were, ele- they were elevated. They were promoted. And they, they, some, some, some people are, are amazing managers. Just that's, that's what they do. Um, but some people really are, don't get training and it would be great if they did, but it, it kind of didn't necessarily matter as much when everybody's in the same place with the same schedule. Um, but it does, people have very different ways of working and they excel in different ways. Um, some people are, you know, terrible in the morning, uh, or really bad when they're isolated, they need to be in a, in a teamwork environment. And so when managers are then suddenly, you know, trying to deal with a dispersed team, those differences between how people work really start showing up. And that's when, whether somebody's a really good manager or they're not, which is no, it's no criticism. It's an observation. Some people just, you know, aren't, that's not their thing. That becomes much harder 
because it's really trying to understand how do I support Rodney versus Tom and Rodney, you know, I can give him a deadline and, you know, give him the outcome and that's totally fine. And he's, he's going to rock it. But Tom just needs, you know, me to check in that much more and give and, and it and give him some more milestones. And he just sort of like really needs that sort of team camaraderie type thing. Until if you're not really overtly aware of that, um, your Tom, it's probably going to flounder and you're not necessarily going to ne- recognize that until it might be too late. Um, so really trying to, to help managers because, you know, not only they, they needing to adjust to try and understand each individual person, but they've also got their own home situation to deal with. They're also needing to work at it work at a different pace because we've, we've, we've had to readjust in so many ways. And certainly for businesses that hadn't already weren't very clear about how, you know, work flowed through that organization, how each thing was done. If you, if, you know, you passed a piece of paper off typically every Thursday to Tom, you know, if that hasn't been identified, it's going to be much harder to pivot and, and make it go remote because you don't know, you haven't sort of identified every single aspect of it. And again, that's going to be down to a lot of the managers to, to you know, trying to work out how to, to adjust, you know, first as a, as a quick fix, but then along, you know, on the longer term, because we're going to be in this situation for a while. You're enjoying another wonderful episode of The Business of Experience. I'm your host, Rodney Hobbs. And if you and your organization want to redesign work and drive experience, please reach out at rodneyhobbs.com. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, and I think also probably if you think about, if we think about a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people, the office in some ways was was a, a leveler because now we've got all these different variables of working in these very different environments, which largely are people's homes from how many mm-hmm. children do you have children? How many pets? How many disruptions? <laughs> What's the physical yeah, environment? Yeah. Uh, right. You know, I certainly know, you know, with me, if, if someone, you know, if something goes past the house, you know, the dogs go nuts, which is not ideal when you're trying to have an important conversation. So I think. There's a whole bunch of new environmental variables, which really the mm-hmm. office leveled those out. They didn't exist and they provided a structure and routine to work, which you worked within. And it's interesting, obviously, largely that's been removed and it's been up to you to kind of have a routine and structure. And then your manager right. is trying to manage in that, in that kind of transitional void because now he's got all these different elements, which he might not or she might not be understanding of, which goes back mm-hmm. to the point of empathy. You know, right. if, if we go back to some of the gender, you know, you can see a lot of the female workforce probably had a lot more impacting some of those realistically, looking at the child minding. And that was some of the things that came out of some of the surveys I've done that, isolation, but certainly childcare was a critical thing that came up. Uh, mm. And then yep. there were certain things about physical, like having somewhere to work, because really for a lot of people, you know, there is no separation once it's moved into the home context. Right. Yeah. yeah so I how mean, that, do we move, sorry, so Sophie, how do we move forward with that then in empowering employees to be more flexible and responsive in that environment and being able to, I suppose, with these words of being adaptive and pivoting uh, to to how we're going to see constant change. And I think it's really not that change is new, but it's the probably the velocity that is going yeah. to uh, the, be the factor. And that's why we need to adapt more quickly. Yes. I, I, and I think a core piece of that is what you, you mentioned um, just earlier, which is about trust. And I think where you can have managers and teams and, and leaders who connect and create relationships of trust, it's going to be, and with a focus on results, there, it's much easier to help you know, the, the, uh, the, the team support to try and achieve that end because then you're working much more closely together and you're going to, to sort of chip in and help each other out. You're going to, you're going to understand when somebody's struggling and be asking questions about and, and, and get open responses about what's actually going on rather than kind of, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, then you'll find out whether it's, you know, the kid is sick or a relative 
you know, there's, there's something going on with COVID or it's a problem with a project, then you're going to find out some of those things and be able to, to help each person and together achieve the results. So that, that trust that, that, that is really going to be at the core, I think, of helping teams and um, achieve the results that, that, that they need to. And that trust also enables people to, you know, be, feel safe, be comfortable. And if they're having, if they're dealing with stress, if they have an almost amount of anxiety, we're dealing with incredible uncertainty and tragedies that you can't necessarily see or aren't spoken about in a, in a typical team environment. In a trust-based environment, you're really going to have people who feel comfortable to, to share the situations they're going through um, and, and you know, get some of the support that they need. So that's sort of where, where I see a, a core element to this being, which I think is honestly very, a, a very positive um, outcome from, from how we're needing to work to be able to work closely together, be able to pivot, be able to, to collaborate more easily. And, and, you know, if there's a new kind of like, Oh my goodness, what are we going to do now in this particular situation? We just got some market data back. What do we do? Then we can work, you know, cross-functionally. We can, you know, connect as, as team members across um, divisions and, and really debate a new, um, you know, a new idea, a new concept, um, and, uh, and see how we might take it forward. Yeah, I think my great hope out of all of this is that, you know, I'm big fans of Rachel Botsman and, and Amy Edmondson. And I think trust and psychological safety, which we've known mm. for years, you yeah. know, coming out of mm-hmm. some of the work around what are, what, you know, everybody wants to know what's the secret source, what's the special ingredient, what's the silver bullet to teamwork. And I think we've known the ingredients. I think mm. what we've then had in the sense, if we take an organizational context, is probably too many chefs in the kitchen because we, <laughs> we sort of, you know, I think it's that difference. You can have the ingredients and follow the recipe. And if you do that, you do get the result. That's kind of that predictability if you follow those steps. But I think, you know, if you don't have some of those ingredients, then really you need the mastery and the, you know, sort of the art of being a chef rather than someone that's got the ingredients to the left and got the recipe to the right. And I think we, we, I don't think a lot of organizations really truly have trust and and have safety. Mm. You know, I certainly, when I spoke to Amy, totally agree. You know, the idea that I, you were in a meeting and you said what you thought (laughs) would be akin (laughs) to, uh, you know, that was the joke would be, you know, that's a CLM, that's a career limiting move or, you know, more bluntly, you're going to get your head knocked off. So don't Mm. stick it up. I mean, that's maybe a generational thing. That's how I um, was brought into the workforce, which is an interesting chat with people like John Hagel and and others, which is Mm -hmm. when did anybody teach us how to work? You know, and and I think when you- Absolutely, yeah. And I I think that's one of the- the interesting things right now is because we're having to, when there has been so much disruption, we're actually becoming that much more aware of what work entails and what it means. And the, the fact that it's processes, it has, you know, we have this communication. How, how are we going to communicate and how are we going to collaborate? And what, what are the, what are the ways that we're going to change this so we can make this situation work? Um, you know, it's really elevated our, our attention to the, the details of what we've just been sort of thrown into. And we, and nobody, we weren't taught, we weren't taught about boundaries, about limits, about how to channel, channel our energies, which didn't matter when it was so, so static and much slower. And it was so, we had so many restrictions. We had to be at the office at these times. Now we don't have, you know, the boundaries. We don't, you know, we can, we can work in so many different ways and, and, you know, 24 seven that really trying to work out how we are, each person, how I work best, when I work best, in what situation, what is the environment, you know, and that, and that is both up to me and also my leader to, to help put me in that, uh, situation, how, help enable that. And, you know, not just, comp- not just sort of, um, optimized for me, but optimized for the team as well. So the team can function, um, as best possible. It's, yeah, it's, it's not easy. I was actually going to mention that I'm, I gave a, I talk about empathy and one a guy came up afterwards and he'd been a Marine and he said, Oh my goodness, empathy and leadership. The in 
special services when they actually have to, they have to understand how each person is going to react under extreme conditions. Mm. And so they have to be incredibly empathetic and really understand what each one of the team is going, how each one is going to be put themselves in their shoes. How are the, what are they going to be good at? What are they going to be bad at? How and how best to configure it because under different stressful situations are going to happen. Absolutely fascinating. So, so yes, even, you know, even in, in the special forces, they're, they're looking at empathetic leadership. Yeah. And I, I do think going back to that point about work, you know, I, I sort of believe that the way I kind of rationalize my own experience, which I think then is applicable to a lot of people is, you know, when I started my career, um, I fell into a system, but I was never told that I fell into a system. And the system <laughs> right. was very yeah. much the, uh-huh. the 20th century kind of Taylorism scientific mm. management view that there's work and there's this separation which creates the context of management. And as and my experiences, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. this is <laughs> so the way, <laughs> this is the way to do it. Right. Um, yep. mm-hmm. and very much I worked in some American corporations. So very much was evident. I learned and, and referred to it many a time, command and control. There was a decision made somewhere else in the world and I didn't have a choice. My job was just to do it. And, and, you had, and you had plenty of time to learn very slowly over time to learn how to do it and, you know, get beaten every now and again if you didn't do it properly. Yeah, and I think, but again, <laughs> I suppose over the years what I find now is that I'm just equipped far better with, uh, with uh, the, the language to explain, well, that's what that was then. I was working <laughs> in this system which I didn't right. understand because yeah. – and if you think about it and you think about most experiences, and if I think of one of my more recent experiences, because a lot of what I this was talk about is experience, right? And we focus mm-hmm. on employee experience. And sometimes yep. one of the great examples that's held up there is that onboarding and mm. you know, how sort of frictionless and, you know, seamlessly we can do that. And there's, and there's some great aspects and some great examples of that. Which, which I've experienced and I've experienced bad ones as well. But, you know, I got the computer and <clears throat> things were set up and things were simple. And I was thinking the other day, that was good. That, that was a long, uh, from a technologist, because that's what I am, I mm-hmm. can see how that's improved for some people. And then suddenly you get to the next bit, which I don't hear a lot of people talking about, where you're bludgeoned to death with 300 hours of onboard training. <laughs> which is inconsistent right. because it comes from right. all these different groups in all these different ways, in all these different formats. And you're meant to sort of eat that elephant. And at the end of that, you're ready. You know, now you've got it, right? And then you realize, then you sort of go through a long process of realizing all of that stuff that they told you is how it's meant to work is not actually how it works. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> so let's move on to... um technology and, and sort of remote working and a point that I think you made about how it's driving the, the I think the word you used was product uh, projectation of kind of work, how we're obviously chunking work down now into that mm. kind of a logic. And I suppose, what do you feel that means to how the new leadership approaches are going to need to be applied? Well, I think the yeah, the projectization of work, I mean, just breaking it down is, is how we have, we have been changing our approach to work over the last 20 years. In fact, um, the uh, project, the non-routine work has grown exp- exponentially, well, over the last 25 years and project work has grown 20 fold over the last, um, sorry, 40 fold over the last 20 years. And it means that because, because of technology, because we can't predict as far in, in advance, we, we're having to, to look at smaller, sort of shorter timeframes and smaller chunks so that we can sort of predict out and, and, and forecast with some kind of, of conviction. What that means for remote work is sort of taking that back even sort of closer because we're really trying to, to break something down so that we can allocate it out to different people. So if you haven't done that, if you haven't sort of really consciously understood that that's what's been happening to, to really try and work out how to divide up a project between, because people are 
are dispersed across different locations, that is going to be something you, that the manager is going to have to have, have had to be learning very fast. Um, and it's not easy. Uh, and, and there's going to be, uh, there's been a lot of trial and error. Um, and felt, you know, things fall through the cracks because you weren't necessarily recognizing that there were, there were some manual things that, that, that weren't sort of documented or that you weren't really paying attention to, or you didn't necessarily see because you didn't see how some of these different things happened when you were all in the office. So really trying to understand how a, how a task is done, how a project is done, and all the different little pieces of it, including getting that document from one person to the other, having the little um, sharing of data moment that usually happened on a Wednesday afternoon um, between three people within that project team. You know, all of those things need to be understood um, in order to be able to deal with that remotely. And then now when you're going to have people, some people going back into the office, so two of those people may be back in the office, other people may not be. Um, and some countries are having, you know, A teams and B teams and A teams are in the office Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, and the other T B teams are sort of Tuesdays and, and Thursdays, or however they're they're sort of working out how to, to to keep people distant. Again, those how you're allocating who's doing what and how those processes are going to get done needs to be able to be changed again. So really having visibility and that's that's let Ultimately, that's going to be very, very useful for people to understand how, to, how the work, you know, how it gets done, what needs to get done. And then when elements change, it's much, much easier to, to change. But getting from where some people have been to, to this, you know, extraordinary visibility and understanding of workflow and, and work management, that, that can be a very tough uh, learning curve. Yeah. And look, obviously my background is more in the technology. And I think that certainly, you know, as I've been discussing through this series of podcasts is really, we, I think we've really got to, and again, I think this is the, the, hopefully the, the catalyst to really stick the landing more than we have been. We've got to stop just dealing with the sort of superficial layer of work and actually really challenge mm. the core assumptions of yeah. work. And then obviously from a technology standpoint, as we've understood for quite a while, a lot of the work, as you say, is highly defined, you know, structured kind of work that can be, is better suited to be done and be automated by using the yep. advances in technology. Yet, I don't think a lot of organizations are really very mature in that space. And then I'm a big fan of the work of Aaron Dignan and the Ready uh, and sort mm -hmm. of the, the OS canvas. And, and I think when you were speaking there, a lot of this goes back to, I suppose, the different approaches or mindset that you could take to teaming and how teams work. But I like when, when the Ready talks about these work agreements, because I, I do believe we need to change the system of the organization to, to this adaptive view, which is, you know, a view shared by many of us, you know, and that's what I've been discussing with the Dave Snowdens and, and, and I don't think a lot of us, a lot of people actually do understand why we work the way we work, which is why I've explored a lot of this kind of, we go back to that last industrial revolution to understand, you know, why we ended up with the 40 hour week. Why did we end up? <laughs> yes. So random. Yeah. So random. You're enjoying another wonderful episode of the Business of Experience. I'm your host, Rodney Hobbs. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please ensure you subscribe, like, and share. Well, I mean, and, and you've got to understand that the key point of my thinking on, on a lot of this, which I've been exploring, is, is we've just we've got to go back and challenge the assumptions of the operating system of our organizations. And I don't think right. many people have done that. And that's where I think everyone, everyone, if you said, have you sat there in your career and gone, why do we do it this way? You are challenging the way that the system had been designed. And the problem is the system was designed for a hundred years ago, fundamentally, unless mm. You are one of those unicorn startups that we always talk about. <laughs> so obviously right. when you talk about Facebook and Airbnb and all the ones that we talk about, as I love this quote, which is, why did God create the world in seven days? Because he had no legacy. And so I think it's pretty <laughs> damn easy for us to look at the world and go, these people had no legacy. They had no system. So they built the system they wanted. A lot of us, inherited a system that 
was inherited so long ago, no one ever remembers why we do it that way. Well, yes. And, and you know, it, we forget, we sort of th- think that it's always been like this, but, but it hasn't. I mean, it was created by people, you know, a, a, you know, a, a time ago, and it has been adapting bit by bit. And we are the people who actually made the rules before, and we can change them again. And the thing for me that sort of has helped me in this is that I've, I've lived and worked in five different countries. So I actually have no set way of working because, you know, it's very different in Hong Kong where I've worked or Germany where I've worked to here. And, and therefore there is, I'm, I'm sort of open to, to different ways of, of looking at how work might be set up because it is, it is what people do it, you know, differently in different places. So I, th- I think, you know, exactly to what you're saying that really trying to, to look at this now. And this is where I, I see that this extraordinary uh, disruption that we're going through can help us really look at how we have been working before. It's, we can't be working like that. For a, a good period, it's, you know, I do believe we're, we're certainly not going to go back somewhere because we need to really adjust for uncertainty, for working in continued uncertainty for, for several months, many months to come. And therefore, this, as you're saying, I, I wish we could say agile, but agile has sort of been taken away and oh, means please, very specific please, things. Oh, please, Sophie, don't, don't, say, don't say agile otherwise. <laughs> no, I'm not no, going to. You, you, use... you can hear me dragging my soapbox <laughs> out right now. Well, ex- exactly. So I won't say that. But it's, I like the word. But in terms of being able to be nimble and adaptive and be able to, to you know, pivot is the new word, but really be able to respond to different situations and, and think about, well, you know, now in this particular situation, that country has opened up, our office can open up in that country. In, in this country, it can't. What are our consumers doing? What are their needs now? Because they're dealing, they have different restrictions and that all of these different inputs and data that we're going to be gathering, um, you know, benefiting from, you know, deeply ingrained use of technology because, because out, without that, we're not going to have the data that we need to work on a real-time basis and be able to respond in a timely fashion to the, the changing environment that we're dealing with. So I, I think, you know, when we can really look at, at using technology in a, in a fundamental way and how, how it can be really deeply incorporated into our operating system and then understanding what, how we can work differently and how we can work optimally for our particular business, look at the fundamental principles of how we can best serve our customer. Because now that everybody's suffering the same disruption, we can actually take this moment to, to try and optimize for the future because that's where we're going. We're not going, we're not going into the past. And, and that, that's going to mean, you know, different mindsets, much more open-minded, much more open to, to trying to find the optimal way forward. And I think that's my point when you, you use the dreaded word. I think agile is a great <laughs> word and it's unfortunate that then we have to quickly say small A or big A. But I think right. agile, as I was discussing with Dave Snowden, you know, cause I know he, he uh, gets fired up on that topic is really, you know, there's no silver bullet and, you know, mm. I, you know, agile for a lot of people has become you know, a silver bullet of some sort. And it was never designed, if we go back and was it 20 years now, it's a mindset. That was the point Mm. that everybody tried to make and everybody tries to make on any of these ideas. It's a mindset, not tool set. And what Mm -hmm. we're very good, particularly us in the technology community is somehow taking that and making it into some cult where you've got to have (laughs) colored belts and certifications and you know the higher up the pyramid the more of a cult leader you are and there's just too many examples that 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 as i said agile is not and never was designed as an operating system agile does not uh is not equipped to deal with so much of what is required so Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, banking that that's your new way of working, it's a way of working. And I certainly yeah. think there's a lot of benefits of being able to apply some of those practices. But we, we just love, like I used to joke many years ago, I worked in mining. And the first oh, time yeah? I flew out to a very, very remote part of Australia and I turned up at a mine site, very poorly equipped, mind you, uh, mentally in every other way. And, and <laughs> okay. 
I learned very quickly that the first thing the new miner did on our mine was go to the warehouse and get a, I think it was a $500 red toolbox full of <laughs> brand new tools. That was the first thing they were told to go and do. They then would promptly put that in the back of the ute, drive it to the back of the site and drop it over the fence for them to pick it up at the end of the day and we would never see the $500 toolkit again. Um, And it just always reminds me of fascination that we just, you know, as technologists, we love our tools. And that's what led me to design a slide, which I for many years used to put up, which just said mindset, not tool set. Which I know, you know, being right. a technologist and essentially selling technology was not the right thing, but we've just got to learn to think differently. And I think that yeah. brings us nicely as we turn for home on a couple of final points, um, Sophie, and I really appreciate your time today, was I think there's no doubt that we're learning if we hadn't already learned that these soft skills across our workforce are going to be critical. And I think ultimately, I hope, and I know some people are are not going to learn this, but we've got to cherish our workforce and people because that's central to my belief, right? It's a people business. Mm, And there are people that believe that and do that. And there's people that say that and don't do that because they're still P&L driven. And there are some realities, no doubt, in business. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt, as Michael Gale shared in last week's or this week's episode, sorry, this is for a lot of people's survival. But I yep. do yep. believe for a lot of people, their survival is predicated on their people, not predicated on just looking through the dollar lens at their business. Um, and I hope the last point that I wanted to discuss with you is how all of this is really going to accelerate the demise of that command and control and how we, you know, really do adapt and continue to adapt, which I think is this idea that I talk about that I thought the last century was more predicated on, you know, that concept of strategy. And I liken that strategy to a map. And a map mm-hmm. has lots of attributes, right? Someone's been there. There's a, you know, the destination and you had mm-hmm. time to get all that information. And I liken the future of the 21st century organization to more being able to learn to navigate with a compass, which is really just about starting importantly and heading in a direction and then continually adjusting your course as yeah. you learn more about where you're going because I don't think any of us know the destination. And that's a very different mindset, a very different system that is going to be required for you to be successful. What do you think on that that final point? Very much so. I think that the mindset is, is, is at the core of this. I mean, when it applies to, for example, workplace flexibility, I say it's a, a, a mindset first, it's a policy second, because if the mindset isn't there, the policy isn't going to work or people won't be using it. So, and when you have that mindset, then you can use the compass um, and you can, you can move forward as best possible as far as, as you know, as far as you can predict um, and then keep iterating. It is something tough to get used to. Um, I think that people don't like uncertainty. Um, and that goes full circle back to trust and, and psychological safety, because that's where in this type of uncertainty um, that we're going to be seeing as we move forward, the leaders who can create the environment that's going to allow people to work effectively with this amount of uncertainty, it is going to be that they create the culture that they have, they elevate these soft skills and and help people be able to feel comfortable, be able to speak up, be able to, you know, dynamically share uh, ideas very quickly and collaborate across disciplines with people that they've never necessarily um, worked closely with before and be able to to succeed because they're able to work in a very different way um, and be focused on, on you know, 
future goals, which aren't uncertain, are waiting for data to to drop in um, as when we sort of see, is it going to go this way or that way? As we get that data, then we can use the compass and, and see which way we need to move forward. So completely believe uh, um, you know, that's a really nice way to, to, to look at it. Um, and again, in order to create the environment that's going to allow people to work comfortably, because so, so many people just are extraordinarily unsettled um, dealing with the, with the, the lack of, of uh, sort of a set way of working, excuse me, um, set way of working with the kind of confines that, of, of the office, of schedules that, that, that so many people have been working with for, for, for years. Um, that that it's a very different work environment, and it's going to need a, you know a lot more of the soft skills to be uh, um, to be elevated. Yeah, and I think my final point on that is I, I think if I think of it from a this is the time for leadership, not managing, in my view. And and I think when we get to another point in the future that we can sort of you know, check in with how we've gone. I think we'll look back at this and we will see great examples of people that led their organizations and their workforces through this. I don't think there's going to be, you know, many articles written about who managed it well. I think it will be who led well. Um, obviously, there's no denying there are mechanics that are involved, which is the management um, but I think it's the leadership which drives that mindset. And, and I'm, as I said, hopeful, try to be more optimistic that we're going to give ourselves permission to, to fail and learn because that's, you know, fundamental in your ability to evolve. Uh, and I think a lot of the command and control structures that we talk about don't allow failure and don't allow right. us to be open I won't use the word transparent because I think that means different things, but I think mm-hmm. we need to be, you know, I like the word real. I remember many years ago working back in the UK per se, we, uh, we started to use this word real. Uh, and it was our ability to then actually give ourselves permission as a, as a large organization that we could tell our customers the truth rather than the belief mm. that we couldn't say that's a bad idea, which was, was what we were doing. We, mm-hmm. we were putting ourselves in positions where what we were being asked to do were not, was not good, not feasible, but we weren't right. saying that. And that's why so many failed projects, failed programs, failed contracts because we've got a shocking track record when it comes to technology anyway. And that's because we've never really understood change. You know, I I can only tell you one thing in my 25 years where the technology failed, but I can tell you many, many stories of where the resistance was about people and Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. basically the antibodies of an organization forming to resist change. And I liked a little quote someone said the other week, which is, you know, as humans, we don't like change. We know that it goes back to we don't like uncertainty, right? Right. And it's that thing right. about change where I'm okay, but could you please change? <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> exactly, which I think, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose the other thing which, uh, you know, we don't have time to explore, but I think is worth recognizing in what we've talked about. We've talked about a lot of things, really all things relating to people who have a job. And one of the very difficult things out of all of this is a lot of people now don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to see a lot of different uncertainty and disruption. And again, I'm optimistic that a lot of people will embrace this as an opportunity, uh, even myself included, to find the next opportunity or the next thing to do and, and a new path rather than, than it's actually, you know, kind of where we've been. Where we've been only serves as a reference now. It doesn't it doesn't dictate where you should go. Um, and I hope we can all embrace that kind of more optimistic view. So Sophie, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Can I ask my guests, is there one thing that I suppose we can offer to the listeners today? Is there one thing that they should do, they should think about, they can take away from our chat today to really, you know, get on the front foot or be more proactive in the, in the things that we've discussed? Well, I would uh, focus um, every day in practicing your empathy skills, which means 
particularly we're dealing with so many remote uh, conversations and meetings. And it's really trying to understand what the other person is really saying, putting yourself in their position. Um, empathy really means putting yourself in, in somebody else's shoes and feeling what they're going through, experiencing what their situation is and how they think about it. So it's really just trying to tap into that, asking them more questions, checking that, that you understood them as they what they actually meant, not what you thought they meant, but what they actually meant, putting aside your judgments, putting aside, you know, whether, you know, however burned out you are, however stressed you are, how many, too many, too many Zoom meetings, just putting all that aside and just trying to listen actively to the other person because everything honestly will go better. The more that you understand that it'll be easier to collaborate, it'll be easier to work together. It'll be easier as a leader to understand what you can delegate them to, you know, what you can't, what they're, stuff, what they're sort of struggling with um, and be able to support them. And it's, it's, just, it's just hard in so many situations to work remotely without really trying to tap into what the other person um, is going through. So just trying to practice empathy, being sort of thoughtful about checking how someone's doing, checking that you understood what they, they really meant um, and just trying to practice that every day. And then it'll just become habit and, and it'll, it'll go a lot more smoothly, I think. No, that's wonderful advice. And I, I do like that concept. And I think you know, it's funny I, that Zoom has become a verb. And I think for a lot of people, you know, we've got to break this, this, uh, this practice of endless back-to-back meetings. And I think I like this idea yeah. of creating space. And I think, you know, we've got to just, you know, I was going to swear then I shouldn't swear, so I won't. But I think we've got to learn to use the word no and create the and, space to yeah. allow, if you're a manager in what really you're saying, create the space where you are very deliberately creating the opportunity for you to check in with those individuals so that you can practice the empathy really rather than Mm -hmm. just being another inane meeting which had no fixed agenda had a random group of people and then you're all looking at these postage stamps um, you know, <laughs> well, I, 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 I really believe that we you know we we need to particular particular. I mean, seventy percent of employees thought the meetings were a waste of time before this happened, and then when you're staring at all the postage stamp, you know, heads, it becomes that much more stressful because you're focusing so hard and you're trying to you know understand what's what's going on and not overtalk someone and all the rest of it. So it, it, you know, try and be judicious about whether a meeting necessarily has to happen. If you you know you can record it and somebody can listen to it later, if possible. You know, if that's one option too, you know, have agendas. I mean, really trying to 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 be efficient with meetings because it's it's you know it was it wasn't efficient before, and you, you really notice it now, and, and people are getting burned out. So completely with you there. <laughs> no, well, I think you know too many people have just told me. I mean, I you just ask them, and you say, well, you used to go back to back meetings, but you just used to be in an office predominantly, right? And we all know most of us would spend a lot of our lives on conference calls anyway, or video calls. Right. Right, um, right. And now it's just, so what did, you know, use the dreaded word remote working actually mean for you? You just sat at home and joined the same inane back-to-back meetings. Well, <laughs> therefore, nothing really changed. Right. And that's why, you know, I, I implore that we've got to actually change something. You mm. know, you really do actually have to change something, not just change that I do the same thing from somewhere else. That isn't change. That's a change, but it's not the change that any of us are talking about. Well, look, Sophie, as I said, I think we've, it's been a fascinating uh, discussion and very insightful and very much, again, appreciate uh, your time. So thank you very much for, for being on the show. Rodney, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. And for the rest, thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of The Business of Experience. And and if you've liked this, then obviously, you know, do the like, do the share, maybe share this with someone else that you think can gain some value in it from our insights in this discussion. And as always, we'll catch you in the next one. 